You're listening to Dental Talk from VivaLearning.com. Welcome to Dental Talk. This is Dr. Phil Klein. Recently, Mary Gavoni presented an excellent Viva Learning webinar titled A COVID-19 Update on Instrument Sterilization. It was so well received, we decided to feature the audio track on Dental Talk. So here is Mary Gavoni, one of the true experts in our profession on infection control and instrument sterilization. Enjoy. Hello, and thank you for joining us. My name is Mary Gavoni, and I'll be presenting this program for you on behalf of Viva Learning. And the first thing I want to do is to thank our sponsor for this program, Halyard, Halyard Health. Um, You may not be familiar or as familiar with that name, but you may be familiar with the company they were formerly known as, which is Kimberly Clark and a provider of um, great supplies for sterilization and healthcare. And I think you're going to become familiar with that name, um, quite familiar in the next weeks and months because Halyard has made a major commitment to help us to have access to N95 respirators, which they happen to manufacture and sell. So thank you very much for your support for these educational efforts. So we're going to talk about three essential things about instrument sterilization tonight. Now, even though we call this program a COVID-19 update, our sterilization protocols have not changed because of COVID. We're not doing anything different, but this is the time when we need to make sure we are doing things correctly because the stakes are higher and because your patients have a heightened level of awareness about all things infection prevention right now. And we want to make sure that we're at the top of our game to help them to feel safe and you to feel secure that if you were either inspected by OSHA and we've heard an increasing number of reports of those inspections happening in dentistry, or if, heaven forbid, a patient made some kind of an allegation that they think they got COVID or some other infection um, as a result of their dental care, you want to make sure that all of your protocols are absolutely above reproach. So we're going to focus tonight on proper, appropriate packaging of instruments. What kind of materials should we use and how to use them correctly? Making sure we're loading things appropriately in the sterilizer because that's typically the greatest cause of sterilizer failure. And then avoiding other types of processing errors when we are sterilizing instruments. So in order to get us started off, I just want to quickly review what are the guidelines, who says what we have to do for instrument packaging. And I would refer you first to the CDC guidelines for infection control in dental health care settings from 2003. On your handout that you can download, this link to that document on the CDC website will be live for you. So you can just go directly there and download um, that particular set of guidelines. Then we have another set of guidelines that you may not be as familiar with because they're not specific to dentistry. They are guidelines for disinfection and sterilization in healthcare facilities. So that includes hospitals, it includes medical clinics, it includes physician offices, dental practices, any kind of a healthcare facility. And again, you have the link 
for that document. And there's some interesting things that um, we became aware of when this document was published. And one of those is or has to do with sterilization of handpieces. All the way back to 1992, for those of you that have been in dentistry forever like I have, um, we received in dental practices a letter from the Food and Drug Administration stating that handpieces as dental medical devices must be heat sterilized after each use. And that was a result of concerns with transmission of HIV or AIDS and also hepatitis B um, from those handpieces. But what we didn't, I guess, understand correctly, and I I will admit I was one of those as well because we so focused on high-speed handpieces, didn't realize that the intent was for slow-speed handpieces and also slow-speed handpiece motors and attachments. So the CDC in this set of guidelines says that any handpiece, high-speed, slow-speed, and attachments and motors must be heat sterilized. And if they can't be heat sterilized, they shouldn't be used. And then in 2018, OSHA, not OSHA, CDC issued another clarification, which this link will actually lead you to. And it talked about any attachments to the dental unit water lines. Now, What I hear so many times from people, this is a guideline, it's a recommendation, we don't have to do it. And I think that we all need to get over our bad selves about the difference between a requirement and a recommendation. And I think that this whole situation we're in now with the COVID pandemic is a good illustration of that. If the CDC sees fit to recommend that we do certain things, there is a reason. There is science behind it. There's a risk of infection. And so saying that, well, it's only a recommendation, I don't have to do it, is really a misinterpretation, in my opinion, of this information coming from the CDC, because they are the ones that set the standards of care. And if you were audited by OSHA, If your state dental board received a complaint about your practice, then you would be expected to be following the CDC guidelines. So I I just use them interchangeably, requirements and guidelines. And I think that um, everybody should sort of adopt that attitude and try to achieve the highest level of compliance rather than what's the minimum I can get by with because we'll all be safer for it. So that's my soapbox for this evening. The other agency that weighs in um, on our sterilization packaging materials and other devices is, of course, the Food and Drug Administration. And this is just a short excerpt from the FDA rules that talk about sterilization wraps. I get a lot of questions from folks about what what can I use for a sterilization wrap? Can I use something like butcher paper or something of that nature? Or um, can I just use a paper bag to put my instruments in to go through the sterilizer? And the answer is no. You need to use something that's cleared by the FDA for use as sterilization packaging material. 
So now that we have the regulatory stuff out of the way, let's talk about the instrument processing cycle. There are a number of steps in the instrument processing cycle, and this is actually defined in the CDC guidelines, and they describe receiving and cleaning, so taking um, contaminated instruments to the instrument processing area, cleaning them, then we rinse and dry and inspect them. So we make sure that there isn't any debris left on them because remember, if you have debris left on an instrument, it will not be sterilized. The steam, or if you're using unsaturated chemical vapor for sterilization, those, the steam and the unsaturated chemical vapor must actually contact or touch the, all the surfaces of the instrument and they can't penetrate through blood or debris on an instrument. So if you have instruments with debris, even if it's cement, doesn't even have to be blood, then that surface underneath won't be sterile. Then the other steps are packaging, labeling, the actual sterilization cycle, and storage. And so we're going to focus on the green boxes and what types of troubleshooting, what kind of errors, and so forth can we avoid so we have a successful instrument sterilization process. And one that we are proud of, one that we're willing to show our patients and um, display on our website and our social media um, pages so that our patients trust us more than any other healthcare provider out there because we really do a good job of trying to protect them. Although I wasn't planning on focusing on the cleaning cycle for instrument processing tonight, I just want to mention something because I said earlier that we need to dry instruments prior to packaging. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One is that if you put wet instruments into a pouch or wet instruments into some kind of a sterilization wrap, it makes them prone to tearing. And if they tear, then you compromise the sterility of the packaging, the instruments when it goes into storage. And this is a special concern right now when we have the potential for airborne transmission of diseases. We certainly don't want to have any compromised packaging. And so that I don't forget to say this later, especially now in the middle of this pandemic, I would not remove my instruments from their pouch, from their wrap, from the cassette until that patient is seated in the chair so that they can trust and feel confident that you have sterilized those instruments and so that you don't potentially contaminate them from any aerosol particles in the air. The other reason we dry instruments is that excess moisture on the instruments could actually prevent the steam or chemical vapor from contacting instruments while they're in the sterilizer. Just like blood or cement or other debris, excess moisture can be a barrier as well. And finally, if you don't dry your instruments well, before you put them in the packaging and in the sterilizer, you can get rust, you can get some staining or pitting on your instrument surfaces. Now you can buy commercially available um, instrument dryers, they're FDA cleared instrument dryers, or you can do something very simple 
like let the instruments sit and, and air dry before you package them and before you put them, wrap the cassettes to put them in the sterilizer. And another quick way to do it is to have a container that has 90% isopropyl alcohol. Alcohol is a desiccating, a drying agent. So you could dip the instruments in the alcohol, you could dip your cassette in the alcohol and then let them sit and the alcohol will evaporate very quickly and so will any moisture. So just a couple of suggestions on how to deal with drying instruments. So now let's take a deep dive into instrument packaging materials. And this may already be predetermined in your practice, but if you're looking to make a change or you're not sure if what you're doing is appropriate, these are the things that typically go into that decision-making process. What kind of sterilization method are you using? Are you using a steam autoclave? Are you using dry heat or unsaturated chemical vapor, a chemclave? And each of those types of sterilization methods may have packaging materials that are appropriate for or not appropriate for that, in particular dry heat, because dry heat is, is accomplished, dry heat sterilization is accomplished at a higher temperature than an autoclave or unsaturated chemical vapor. The materials that are used have to be a little more heat tolerant so that they're not going to burn up in your sterilizer. We look at cost, how much do, do pouches cost versus wraps if I'm using cassettes? And what type of an instrument management system am I using? Many people who use a cassette system or some kind of a container that they sterilize their instruments in prefer to use wraps. But there are pouches that will fit those. If you're having loose instruments that you take out and put on a tray, um, once you take them into the treatment room, then you probably don't want to wrap. You probably want to use a pouch. We need to look at what's the workspace available. If I wanted to wrap cassettes or wrap instruments, do I have a space to do that in my sterilization area? And then the last is just simply preference. What, what do I like? What do I don't like about the particular methods that are available to me for packaging instruments? And the whole reason we are, we are talking about packaging of instruments is that that is a requirement in the CDC guidelines that all items placed in heat sterilization must be packaged prior to sterilization. So this is um, sort of a change in some practices where they've used dry heat, where they typically didn't package, and in orthodontic practices where they chose again to use dry heat and, and didn't package and just took their instruments and put them maybe in a cassette, maybe in some kind of a holder and didn't protect the sterility of those instruments once they came out of the sterilizer. And that is the purpose of the packaging because once you take your instruments out of the sterilizer and they're exposed to the room air, they are no longer sterile. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean they're highly contaminated, but they are no longer considered sterile. 
And I will tell you, I come from the days of sterilizing instruments just loose on the tray in the sterilizer. And we'd take our instruments out of the sterilizer and we would put them in organizers that were like meant for silverware. And we would put, you know, all the, the amalgam condensers and all the mirrors and all the explorers in separate bins and then just pull one out when we put them on the tray. And I look back on that now and think, wow, um, I was proud of the fact that we sterilized everything in an autoclave because some of my colleagues in other dental practices didn't do that. But (laughs) once they came out, they were no longer sterile. And yes, we washed our hands when we handled those instruments, but we weren't wearing gloves back then. This is early 1970s. So before some of you were even alive. So we've done a lot of things perhaps in the past that we now know were not the best things to do. So here's the most common types of instrument pouches that we have. Peel pouches, which are the most common. Um, You can make your own size pouches of tubing. Niclave is a, a kind of a generic term that's used, but it's actually a specific type of material. And then we have reusable cloth pouches. So I see peel pouches being used the most and the least used are the um, reusable pouches. Disposable peel pouches, in my opinion, are the most efficient. They seal all by themselves. They have both internal and external indicators in most of them. They come in a big variety of sizes. We put our instruments in, we slide a cassette in, we seal the pouch, we're good to go. Reusable pouches, I will tell you, are not my favorite. And that is my personal preference. If you use them, it's not wrong, but here's what you need to know. They have a finite use life. And it has to do with the design of the fabric that the pores during the sterilization cycle open. And then at the end of the sterilization cycle, they close up again to correct the sterility of the instruments inside. But you have to track each use of those pouches. And they're good for anywhere from 70 uses to maybe 100 or more uses. Some of these reusable pouches, you can actually write with a Sharpie. You put an X in a box that represents a use of the pouch. But I find that they're a little bit difficult to seal. Some of them have a drawstring or a foldover. You can put autoclave tape on them, but it doesn't always stick really well. But the biggest issue that I personally have with these pouches is that they can become discolored over time. And if I'm leaving my instruments in a pouch, on a tray, in a treatment room for my patients to see that they've come from the sterilizer and I have this dingy kind of singed looking cloth pouch, I'm not sure that that presents the image that I want, but they do work. And if you're dedicated to being green and not having so much disposable material, that is an option. Then the least efficient option, again, my opinion is tubing. So we cut it to size and then we have to seal it. So you heat seal it on each end or you seal it with um, autoclave tape. So it takes a lot more work than it does to use a single use peel pouch, but you have choices and it's always good to have choices. So here's some things you need to consider about the peel pouches, the sterilization pouches. Number one, they need to be FDA cleared. 
If you are buying them from one of our dental supply partners, they will be FDA cleared. The Henry Shines, the Pattersons, the Bencos, the Burkhart Dental, all of those, they're not going to sell you items that are not FDA cleared. So if you're going and buying them on Amazon, for example, you you may or may not get some that are FDA cleared. They need to be appropriate for the sterilization method that you're using. As I mentioned before, if you are using dry heat for sterilization, you need to use pouches that are specifically designed for dry heat sterilization. They're not as common as they are for steam autoclaves. And make sure that you always select pouches that have both internal and external indicators on them so that you know your instruments have been processed and you know your instruments have been exposed to the right parameters for sterilization. And we'll talk about that in a, more in a little bit. But the nice thing is that these pouches come in a wide variety of sizes. So if you have a small burr block or you have individual instruments that you want to store in a treatment room. And I don't think I mentioned this earlier, but that's a big no-no. And I'll talk about it in a minute again, um, that if you have extra explorers, mirrors, cotton pliers, for example, that you store in drawers in your treatment rooms, they need to be packaged because once you open up that drawer, whatever kind of aerosol contamination is in the air could potentially settle on those instruments Anyone could go in inadvertently and grab something with contaminated hands instead of taking their glove off or using an instrument pickup to retrieve something from a drawer. So they need to be packaged. The other thing to remember, and if you look at the picture on the lower right-hand side and on the lower left-hand corner of that picture, when you put hinged items into a sterilization pouch or into a cassette, those must be opened. Otherwise, the steam or the chemical, unsaturated chemical vapor cannot contact the surfaces inside that hinge. So hinged instruments are always to be sterilized in an open position. Now, sterilization tubing used to be very common before we had such a variety of peel pouches, but there are still many practices that like to use it. It's a little bit less expensive, um, but again, it's a little more work intensive. So it also needs to be FDA cleared. You can't just pick out something that you will withstand by your experimentation, the sterilization cycle and use it. it needs to be FDA cleared. You cut it to the size or the length of the instruments. You can buy it narrow or wide, whatever you need. And then you have a heat sealer that you seal the ends or you can seal it with autoclave tape. But the one thing you don't do with these pouches is staple them because that isn't an adequate seal. It'll fasten the end so the instruments won't fall out, but it won't seal it. Okay, we have a question that I'm going to take in just one second here. Now, some of the the tubing that is available comes with indicators just like the peel pouches do, but some do not. So if you buy tubing that does not have indicators, then you're going to have to place an indicator inside the pouch. (coughs) Excuse me. So we have a comment here. 
Okay, and I'm, I think we covered this. The comment is things have to be in a package for sterilization and remain like that till the patient is sitting in the chair. The package has to be open in front of the patient. Only that way the patient makes sure the instruments are sterile. That is true. I think we talked about that before. There are no other ways to know if the instruments are sterile if they are not in the package. And that is true. So thank you for that. And, and I think I mentioned that before, but in case I didn't or didn't make it clear, thank you um, for that question or that statement. I appreciate that. So let's talk about sterilization wrap. It is not as common in practices that do not use some type of a cassette system or that maybe are an oral surgery practice where you have larger groups of instruments that you put into sterile packs. So again, it needs to be something that's FDA cleared. So butcher paper that I mentioned before, and I I have had questions about that from people. Can I just use that? Um, And people have told me, you know, we've tried it in the the sterilizer and it, it doesn't tear, it works good, but it's not FDA cleared. So no, you can't use that. And it has to be, again, appropriate for the sterilization method that you use. So for example, if you were going to use a wrap in um, dry heat sterilization, you can't use one that has polypropylene and perhaps some other components in that will not withstand that higher temperature for dry heat sterilization. The one misconception is that you use a single layer of wrap. Now, in, and, and that depends because if you buy wrap that is only a single layer, so you have to read information when you're purchasing it, if it's only a single layer, then you need to use two sheets of wrap. So you can wrap the two sheets together around your cassette or your instrument simultaneously, or you can wrap one inside the other, but you need two sheets, and you may be purchasing sheets that are actually two that are bonded together. So that's an important thing that you need to know when you are purchasing them. And there are two different methods of wrapping a cassette or an instrument pack, an envelope fold, which is what you see at the on the top right-hand side of the slide. It's kind of like wrapping... Um, almost like wrapping a gift, and but then you have a flap that comes over like an envelope. And then there is a square fold, which is what is being shown on the bottom right. Now, if you go onto YouTube, you can find all kinds of great video resources that show you these wrapping methods for sterilization wrap. And again, I gave you this link to the CDC Um, information about packing and storing, packaging and storing of instruments that you can go to and look at those guidelines as well. But the biggest error that I see is that you need the two layers. And I see somebody says, um, why do you need the double up on the wrap? And that is part of the requirements for use 
from the Food and Drug Administration. And it also is in the guidelines for sterilization and disinfection that I mentioned earlier from the CDC. So just check what it is that you're using, because if you're purchasing something, um, many of the Halyard products, I know that many of the Hugh Freedy, the Hugh Freedy wraps are double layer sheets. But if you're purchasing some inexpensive wrap from a supplier, from a distributor, you need to check and see, is it a double wrap or not? One of the uh, big advantages of using wraps is that you can then use them as barriers, surface barriers on the tray. And we have another question, are wraps single use or reusable? They are only single use, just like sterilization pouches. They are single use. You cannot reuse them because once they've gone through a sterilization cycle where the material, again, the pores on the material will open and close depending on the steam and the pressure and and so forth in the sterilizer, it won't be successful again. It's only meant and only tested and approved to be used in one cycle. And they're much more subject to tearing. They may have already been torn when you open the packages. So we don't reuse them. And I knew somebody would ask this question on the peel pouches. Do you autoclave them with the clear side up or the clear side down? And I will address this at um, kind of towards the end of the of the program in sterilization errors. Uh, the short answer, the quick answer for you is that it depends on what your sterilizer manufacturer says. So now another great question is, do the wraps have indicators? No, they do not. So if you use wraps, then you also need to place an indicator strip in your package. So you can do it And here's a great example. You can put it inside the cassette with the instruments, or some people will close the cassette up and then lay the indicator strip across the top of the cassette and then wrap it up. So that way, and either way is correct. Um, But if you put it on top of the cassette, um, on top of the closed cassette, I should say, then you know as soon as you unwrap whether it's passed or failed in that particular cycle. If not, then you have to open the cassette all the way up and then see whether or not um, the um, indicator says that it's passed or it's acceptable to use. Now, I get a lot of objections from people about these indicators because they are costly. They're, you know, they cost maybe five cents a piece or less, depending on what distributor you buy them from and how many parameters they measure and so forth. But this is what I would say, especially now in this COVID pandemic, this is part of your marketing budget. Because if I open up my instrument pack or I open up my cassette and I can show my patient this tangible evidence, this is a monitor. For lack of better description, patients can understand that. This is a monitor we place in every one of our instrument packages, and it tells us that your instruments were sterilized. And patients love this. I saw this happen when I was consulting in a practice, and the practice had implemented what I recommended they do, put these integrators, indicators inside of their cassettes, and we had a patient taken back into one of the hygiene rooms. And all of a sudden we heard the hygienist shout out, oh no. 
And, you know, we all went running. We thought maybe something bad happened with the patient. Well, she freaked because the integrator or the indicator said fail. And so we sat down and explained what that meant to the patient. And we said, we're going to come back and with a new set of instruments and we're going to open it up. And, and it was kind of interesting. The patient was fascinated by it. They wanted to open the cassette themselves. They got up and washed their hands. They opened the cassette and they looked in and said, Oh, this one's good. This one passed. So at the end of that appointment, the patient said, can I have those things? And he meant the indicators. Can I have them? Sure. Why not? So took both of them with pass and fail. And I'm thinking about, you know, what is he going to do with this? Well, he did what I kind of suspected he was going to do. Showed his family, showed his coworkers, showed, it sounded like anybody that would listen because when I was leaving the practice that day, said, what I want you to do is be very, very, um, good at tracking patient referrals for about the next six weeks and see if any of your new patient referrals come from this one. So within that six week period of time, they got seven new patients. So that paid for the indicators. And I think those are the tangible types of things that we are that we should be doing that can instill confidence in our patients. So if you're using wraps, you can, again, seal them with autoclave tape. That's the most common thing that's done. And the autoclave tape is not the indicator. Autoclave tape is only a temperature indicator. So it only tells you that your sterilizer reached the right temperature. It doesn't indicate that the steam penetrated through the wrap to get to the instruments, that's why you have the strip inside the cassette or inside of the wrap. So you, you must use another indicator if you use autoclave tape. If the, I have another question. I'm, I'm trying to keep up on the questions as we go through these topics. If the tape is an indicator, is it required to place an additional indicator within the wrap? And I think we answered that question. Um, our color changes standard regardless of the company. You know, I honestly don't know the answer to that, but if you, I'll give you my email address at the end and I'll be happy to look that up. I, I don't know if they are standardized. So I will be happy to find that out. Okay, and we have another question about indicator tape on the outside, then yes, you also need an indicator. Um, is it required to use a class five indicator in every load or is there a class four? There is a class four indicator and I'm gonna talk about that in a minute and I'll explain that. So if we can just kind of hang on to that question for a sec and the rest of them um, we will have time to address at the end. So let's talk about some of the errors we have in heat sterilization. And this one has to do with packaging and it's probably one of the most common ones that I see as a consultant. Skipping the dry cycle, taking instruments out when they're wet, there's still condensation inside the packages that makes them subject to tearing and it makes them subject to what's called a wicking effect. So if you look at the pictures on the, the picture on the left-hand side, you can see that if I touch this 
package with contaminated hands, I can actually wick in microorganisms to that package if the material is wet. And I would encourage you when you have your handout to go to this link in the center of the slide. This is a really, really great video that was done by my friend Leanne Kiefer from Crosstex. And she talks about packaging and the effect of wet packaging and wicking. I think it's a very, very good instructional video for you. So make sure that you always use the dry cycle. Now, if it's taking a very long time and you've gone through the whole dry cycle and your packages still aren't dry, then you should have your sterilizer serviced. Um, in some, not all, but in some sterilizers, there are two different heating elements. One that creates the heat for the sterilization cycle and one element that creates the heat for the dry cycle. So that heating element for the dry cycle might not be functioning. So make sure that you do not take, that nobody takes instruments out unless it's absolutely necessary. You got to use them right away. And if that's the case, that you can't wait till your instruments go through the dry cycle, you might need a few more instrument setups in your practice. Lots of practices still are not aware of changes that were made a very long time ago to monitoring or validating your sterilizer. First and foremost, the CDC guidelines say you need to put an integrator, an indicating integrator, class five, I'll talk about what that means, in each load. So that validates that that load met the parameters for sterilization, time, pressure or steam penetration, and temperature. That's per load. Then you need to do a weekly spore test. And when the 2003 CDC guidelines came out, the um, recommendation was monthly, but that's been changed for a very long time. So it's a weekly spore test. And you should also be monitoring the mechanical function of your sterilizer. Some of you may have a sterilizer that gives you a printout that says from every sterilization load, it reach the right temperature, it reached the right pressure, and it was the appropriate amount of time. And I think we're going to see a lot more of that kind of integration of technology into sterilizers as we go forward in, in sterilizer technology. But make sure that you validate, make sure you know that your sterilizer is working. The other thing that doesn't happen very commonly, and it is recommended in the CDC guidelines is labeling your packages. Now, back in the day, we used to label packages because there were studies that showed that the packaging materials we had then, which was primarily paper, would break down after about 30 days. And so anything that hadn't been used within that 30 days needed to be reprocessed before it was used again. Now the studies show that the Paper plastic pouches and many of the wraps can have an indefinite shelf life. As long as they're not, they don't get wet, as long as they're stored properly, the instruments can remain sterile for some of the studies have shown up to two years. And so they're calling it almost an indefinite use life. But what the CDC says in their guidelines for packaging and storage is that you should label each package with the sterilizer that was used. So you can number them or you can put the name of the sterilizer. You label it with the cycle number or the load number, whatever you, you decide. 
um, the date, and you could put an expiration date, but it's really not applicable for us for what we use in in our dental practices. So which sterilizer was used, what was the load number, and what was the date of sterilization? So if you have a failure on your spore test, you know which packages may have been not reused, but had been processed in that particular load. Now, I don't know if this will change um, for us in the future, but already our friends in Canada, if we have any um, partners from Canada here with us tonight, this is a law in Canada and you can be disciplined and you can be cited by the Royal College of Dentists, which is our equivalent of our dental board for not labeling your sterilizers. So there's ways to do this. Some people just write on the package But storage of your instruments is very appropriate. We don't want to store our instrument packages above the sterilizer where there's dampness when the steam is vented. So if it's in the sterilization area, it needs to be in the clean area, not where we bring in contaminated instruments and not where there's moisture or any kind of potential contamination. We need to keep the materials dry. Sometimes instruments are stored in the treatment room, but obviously in a cupboard where they're away from any aerosol contamination. So some of these points we've already talked about before, these are errors with the sterilization pouches, not folding them properly, reusing them, too many instruments in the pouch. So you, if you have a lot of overlapping instruments, then maybe you're not gonna get appropriate steam penetration on all those instrument surfaces. We talked about wet instruments, improperly folding or sealing the pouch. We should never have anything penetrating outside of the pouch. And although the the temptation is, as you can see on the lower right-hand side with this burr block, the temptation is to fold it over, make it more compact. We've just now covered up the indicators on that pouch. So the proper way to seal a pouch is to score it like the top left picture fold it at the score, peel off the adhesive strip and seal it so it's even, not so it's crooked because you're going to get some an improper seal. You could have some leakage from that pouch. So this is what I mentioned before about single instruments not being packaged to go in drawers. Right or left-hand side of the, of the slide here, This is the appropriate way to store instruments in the treatment room in the drawers. They shouldn't be going into the sterilizer loose unless you have what's called an immediate use sterilizer, which would be your Statum sterilizer or a Midmark M3, which means that you sterilize only certain items that need to be reprocessed during a procedure for immediate use. Many practices over the years have started using statum sterilizers. That's probably one of the most common one for their dental handpieces. And before the CDC said that 
our um, all of our instruments, including hand pieces, need to needed to be packaged for sterilization. They would use the six minute unpackaged cycle for hand pieces, and then just put those hand pieces in a drawer in a treatment room to use. Well, that all has changed, and so has the the guidance from the FDA about immediate use sterilizers. They used to be called flash sterilizers. Now that word immediate use means that you only use them for things that you have to use immediately. And they're primarily designed for use in a hospital operating room. So the surgeon has a special instrument that they need for a procedure. It gets dropped on the floor or gets contaminated somehow, and it needs to be reprocessed because we don't have another one. Then it goes and gets cleaned. It goes directly into this sterilizer. It gets processed at that unpackaged fast um, cycle, and then it's placed in sterile water to cool and goes right back to use in the surgical site. That's not what we're doing in dentistry. So it's really not appropriate in dentistry. Um, Many people, as I said, still use them, but they also don't have great capacity for use, but you must package for use in an immediate use sterilizer. So we don't keep extra instruments in our drawers, in the treatment rooms, not appropriate because they will become contaminated. So we've talked a lot about indicators all along. And I've sort of been teasing you with, with this information about indicators. So autoclave tape, as I mentioned before, is an indicator. It is a single parameter indicator. It measures temperature only. Then on peel pouches, you have indicators that are built in, if you will, in the pouches, you have external indicators, you have internal indicators so that we know that the steam has penetrated into the package and they will change color. And there are some that are class four or type four, as they're called now. Some are class five, although there aren't any class fives that I know that are in pouches. The class fives are typically the the integrating indicator strips that you put in. And they give you, here's another example on the left-hand side, they give you this indication that the cycle has failed or it's passed. So again, the integrating indicator should be one per load according to CDC. But if you're using a wrapped cassette or a pouch that doesn't have internal indicators, then you need to use an indicator strip. So there, I think there's just some confusion about that. The other thing I just want to say about autoclave tape is that some of it still contains lead, depending on where you buy it from. So buy the products that are lead-free because if you buy the products that have lead, many states have rules against throwing that lead-containing autoclave tape in the trash. You have to have it recycled. So be careful about that. So here we have the breakdown of what do these indicators mean when what constitutes what an indicator is. So autoclave tape, again, is a type one process indicator. Items have been processed. I can look at a package and say, yep, it's been processed. It's likely if my sterilizer is working appropriately and if it was um, 
loaded properly that they're sterile, but that's not the indicator of sterility. A type two indicator is what's called a specific use indicator. And that is the best example I can give you is a Bowie Dick test pack that's used on a daily basis if you have a pre and post vacuum sterilizer. And a lot of people don't realize that if you have one of those vacuum sterilizers, you need to run and you need to document that you've done this vacuum test every day. And then it also has a sterilization indicator. Type three, which is the very common external indicator on a peel pouch is a single variable. It's typically temperature, okay? Type four is a multivariable and it's the internal indicator on your pouch. So it tracks steam penetration and it most likely tracks temperature, but it may not account for time, okay? Because remember, not only do we have to get the sterilizer up to the right temperature and up to the right pressure, it has to be for the correct amount of time. And so that's where the integrating indicator comes in, a type five, which is what is used for load validation. So it's measuring all three parameters, time, temperature, pressure, or steam penetration. Now, there also is a class six indicator called an emulating indicator, which is also used for load validation in some areas, typically not used in dentistry, but it is said to be the closest thing to a spore test, but it is not meant to substitute for spore testing. So where you're going to be is type four with a multivariable on a pouch or a type five if you're using an integrating indicator either in a cassette, in a pack, or you're using it to validate your load. Now, I always recommend to all my practices I work with that if you're doing surgeries, use integrating indicators in every pack of instruments, in every single pack. I think that's a very, very good idea, and it's a good um, confidence builder, again, for your patients. So other errors we see in sterilization, and they're the most common causes of sterilizer failure. Um, layering them one on top of the other, that is not how they're meant to be put in sterilizers. These are labeled correctly, they're dated, and it's written on the paper part of the package, so that's a good thing, but um, it's possible that these packs in the center of that stack may not have been sterilized. The best thing to do, according to the manufacturers of the pouches and the sterilizers, is to either have one single layer of pouches on a tray, or you put them in racks where it keeps them on their side, or you get them manually kind of on their sides without a rack, like the picture on the upper right-hand side. So we don't want to overload. I love this picture in the center. I don't know how anything could possibly get sterilized in that particular sterilizer. So this is one of those things where we either need additional sterilizers or um, we need to look at our throughput capacity in the sterilization um, area. And I know we've had questions about, is it paper up or paper down? Um, it depends on what 
your manufacturer says. So you need to go to the manual for your sterilizer or contact, whether it's Midmark or Tutenauer or ADEC, whoever it is, you contact the manufacturer of your sterilizer and you do what they say. What? How has their sterilizer been um, cleared for use by the FDA? And that has to do with loading the the instruments. And your sterilizer also will come with load um, determine or load capacity determinations so that it will tell you how many pouches or how many cassettes or how many combo of pouches and cassettes can you put in one particular load. So make sure that you look at all of those parameters because your spore test may be working. Um, you may be passing your spore test, but that may not be indicative of how you normally load your sterilizer. So it may be giving you a false sense of security. And make sure that you keep your sterilizer clean. It should be cleaned. In most cases, manufacturers say use a sterilization chamber cleaner on a weekly basis, keep it functioning well, and it can help avoid um, pitting or staining of instruments. So the key takeaways that I want you to have from this particular um, program tonight are have systems in your practice for how you're managing your instruments and how you're packaging and all the appropriate steps to do that. In other words, written protocols for how we do it. Because what happens many times, we get a new new employee, or we have a a temp that comes in and they're not necessarily following your protocol. They may do something that they've been taught to do that might not be correct. Make sure you have it in writing. Make sure you talk about the process. See where you can improve or where you need to improve. Make sure that every member of the team understands how to process instruments. They may not do it all the time, but if they're called upon to do it because you're shorthanded, then they know what to do. And that's part of OSHA training, infection control training for OSHA, um, the bloodborne pathogen standard. They need to know how to perform those procedures. Make sure you educate your patients. As I said before, I would be putting this out on social media, on my website, everywhere to tell your patients all the things that you do to keep them safe. And get your practice in the habit of being in the quality, continuous quality improvement mode, that you are always monitoring your processes to make sure that they're working, make sure nobody's skipping steps, make sure that no one has misunderstood what they learned in their training, review them, revise them, keep up to date. I think one of the things, good things that's come out of this COVID pandemic is we've all been so tuned into all this virtual education and it's been wonderful to get all of this great information, but continue that. Um, Keep keeping up on the information and knowing what are the right things to do. Then I want to give you my contact information, my email address, mary at marygavoni.com. If you have questions from this webinar, don't hesitate to shoot me an email, put Viva in the subject line so I know which webinar that you're talking about because I do lots and lots of them. And I'm happy to try to answer a question for you just as quickly as I can. Oh, this is a very good question. Um, 
I mentioned in the beginning that you could use alcohol to enhance drying of the instruments before sterilization. Does it over time ruin or damage the instruments in any kind of way? I don't believe it does. And that actual tip was given to me by someone from an instrument manufacturer to help in the drying. So I believe the answer to that is no. Someone mentioned, I don't know if this is one of our friends from Canada that says we spore test daily, which good for you. And, and in, um, in Canada, that is a requirement. You cannot use your sterilizer for the day in a dental practice unless you have spore tested it. So what they have typically in practices in Canada is an in-office spore test system. And 3M just came out with one in the U.S. that has a 20-minute um, readout. And I know there's some for use in Canada that are, I believe, a 12-minute readout so that you don't start your day sterilizing until you've spore tested. And I don't disagree with that. How do you disinfect the clean area of the sterilization room after cross-contamination? Great question. I would simply use your surface disinfectant that you use in your treatment rooms. Wipe the surfaces. I think that we have covered the, the difference between a class four or they're now called type, type four and a type five integrator. Okay, good question. If using a cassette, we need a class five in every cassette, but one class five in every load if one uses pouches. Actually, no, you could use a class four indicator strip in a pouch. There are class four strips. You can use that in a cassette or it's the same thing in, in many of the pouches. And then a class five, that's the um, measures all three parameters in the load. So just to clarify, so class four is what's required inside the package, class five in the load. But again, my recommendation is type, not class five, type five in surgical packs, just because I want more security in what I'm doing. If we use the pouches that have internal and external indicators, are we okay? Or we should use the strips per load. You should use one type five strip per load. That is in the CDC guidelines. Um, there's a comment, paper down may increase risk of tears due to gravity while wet. It all depends on what your sterilizer manufacturer recommends. And always follow manufacturer's instructions. Is it okay to have OSHA and infection control by webinars? And I think that what's meant by that question is, is it okay for you to do your OSHA training requirements through webinars? And it is, um, especially now when you can't find in-person um, programs and many of us who would train are not going into offices to do live training. But what you need to do is make sure that everyone has a chance to answer questions. So if you listen to a video recording, for example, then what you would need to do is have a discussion on your team about what specifically applies to your practice to make it customized to your particular practice. Would it make sense to have an alcohol solution bath on our dirty side that we can use, that we can reuse the entire day or weekly for drying instruments before autoclaving? Yes, I would absolutely put the alcohol on the dirty side, but it would kind of be just before the area where you do your instrument packaging so that nobody's going to put 
instruments that haven't been cleaned first that go in the alcohol, if that makes sense. So I'm going to have my probably a sink in an area where I break down trays or, or open cassettes and take items out. Then I'm going to put them in an ultrasonic and I'm going to clean them or I put them in an instrument washer and clean them and take them out. And then um, I'm going to put them in the alcohol to dry them. And then I'm going to let them sit and, um, and dry before I package them. I think we answered the question about doubling up on the wrap because that is a CDC and it's an FDA requirement. Um, for steam and chemical autoclave, do you keep the pouches open? No, you absolutely seal the pouches before they go into the sterilizer. Um, someone from California says we're not supposed to scrub instruments. That is a recommendation from CDC to minimize hand scrubbing. I don't know for sure that in the CD or the Cal OSHA rules, it says no scrubbing, but I wouldn't be surprised that they're not. Hand scrubbing of instruments rather than using an instrument washer or um, an ultrasonic cleaner can mean that you are more subject to spatter or splatter of the contaminants on the items and that you're more um, exposed to puncture from those instruments because you're handling them more. Can the alcohol solution bath for drying be used multiple times a day? Yes, because you're putting the instruments in after they've been cleaned. So it's not like we're dipping instruments in there that, ha are, that have blood and debris on them. I think, oh, this is another great question. Thank you for asking this. Um, what do you do with the daily strips? Are they discarded or saved? They are simply discarded. You don't need to save them. And I go into practices where they have bags full of them. They save them um, so that they could monitor them. So what I would do is keep a sterilization log. And so for every load that goes into the sterilizer, when I take my instruments out and I look at that indicating integrating indicator, say that six times fast, then I log it in. So I say it's load four of the day on sterilizer number one, and it passed. So I keep that kind of a log so that I know. Um, and you can easily do that on a computer. You don't have to keep paper logs that get wet and get messed up in the sterilization area. You can just set up a, a spreadsheet if you want, or a table on a computer and just enter that information in to track it. So I think that we have covered all of the questions. And again, I'll go back one slide. If you have any questions at all, send me an email, put Viva in the um, subject line, and I'll be happy to answer that question. So thank you again, Halyard, for um, your support of this educational program. Thank you all for participating.